Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hello and welcome automotive world to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. I will be your host today. On the show today, I am going to talk about diagnostic trouble codes. Uh, sounds like a pretty basic topic, and uh, part of this might be might be stuff that you already know. Um, but you know, we deal with trouble codes a lot as technicians uh, nowadays. We're obviously we're dealing with them every single day. Um, I mean, even the general public, our customers, are aware of trouble codes. You know, hey, can you? <laughs> scan this, get the code, and then it's going to tell you what the part, what part has failed, right? The code tells you what to replace. That's, you know, you don't have to do any other work. And of course, it's not quite that easy, um, even though maybe some technicians operate that way, um, launching the parts cannon at something based off, off of a code. Uh, there really is quite a bit more to it. But these diagnostic trouble codes, in reality, are extremely helpful to us, uh, even though sometimes our goal in fixing the car, our goal is just to get rid of the code. Uh, how, do we, how do we get this light off or this code out of this control module? So uh, again, we're dealing with them all the time and doing an all system or all module DTC scan, diagnostic trouble code scan, uh, is one of the first things you should do on almost any vehicle nowadays, uh, just because of the amount of control modules on a vehicle and how systems can interact with one another, um, getting a good picture of what's going on in the entire vehicle you know, all of the possible codes that are in separate modules, uh, it, it's a really good first step. And these codes are going to point us towards what the control module is unhappy about. And that's the way I've always thought of a diagnostic trouble code is what is the computer module, whatever it might be for the engine, the transmission, the body control, whatever control module it is, what is it unhappy about? What did it see happen or sometimes not happen uh, that it decided to flag this code for? Um, and I want to know that. And that's kind of what we're going to be getting into today is really looking at, uh, you know, what is actually happening that's causing a computer to be unhappy about something, to actually set a code. And sometimes it's very straightforward and not worth talking about that much, but other times it's not so clear. There's there's a lot more to it, and that's kind of what I'm going to get into today. Um, but let's just talk about some basics with codes here. You may be very familiar with this stuff, but we'll get through this, get everybody on the same page, and then I'll get into some more detail on specific vehicles. So first off, uh, a DTC, a diagnostic trouble code, what is it? Um, the way I've always looked at it is it is the result of a failed monitor. Okay, so our control module, whatever it's for, doesn't really matter in this case, but in our control module, it is monitoring either systems or a specific component for proper operation. Okay, so under a certain circumstance, and that this is going to vary uh, 
quite a bit, depending on what we're talking about. But given the right circumstances, the control module is programmed to use a series of inputs, or maybe only one input. It really depends, again, what we're talking about. But it's going to be looking at some inputs, and it is going to be monitoring something to make sure that it does what it wants to do or that it doesn't do what it doesn't want it to do, again, depending on what we're talking about. But it's always going to be monitoring. And it, again, in the programming, if something doesn't happen when it's supposed to or something happens when it's not supposed to, uh, the, that monitor is going to be flagged as failed. Okay, we saw something or the computer saw something it didn't like. It. This is not supposed to be this way based on what I am seeing through whatever means it has to monitor that system or component. And in result, it is going to set the diagnostic trouble code that it pertains to that specific monitor. So if you want to think about it that way, every single code that can be set in any module has some sort of monitor monitor behind it. The control module has some programming to watch something and see if it's working properly. And if it doesn't, we set a code. All right. And this code is going to have some sort of description to point us to what the computer is unhappy about, what monitor actually failed, what component is doing its job or not doing its job. Um, and that is what we're looking at as a technician to try to make the computer happy. Again, we're trying to appease the computer and get it to not set these codes. So, you know, things function properly, obviously, but maybe sometimes it's just to turn off a warning light too. So that's one of my big questions whenever I see a code, especially one that maybe I'm not familiar with, is what exactly is the computer unhappy about? Uh, what is it looking at? And that's that's one of the things that we got to consider too. Um, you know, we really, really want to understand these codes, not just the definition, not just reading the code, but what is involved in actually running the monitor, failing the monitor, and setting the code. Okay, so we have a computer module. It's got a processor. It's got memory storage unit on the board. Um, but it's also going to be using some sort of input or some sort of data in order to run this monitor and then make a decision whether it passes or fails. And I want to know, when I'm looking into a code, what exactly is involved with that? What sensors? What I mean, obviously, what system is it looking at? What component is this code pertaining to? And generally, that's pretty straightforward in the description of the code. Again, not always, but generally speaking, it is. But I want to know what other sensors or inputs are involved with setting this code. Um, what circuits are involved? I want to know when is the control module actually monitoring this circuit, system, component, whatever it is? Because it might not be all the time. It might only be under certain circumstances, and I may need to duplicate those. So I want to try to figure out when is it monitoring, you know, what is it using to monitor it, and then if I can figure out exactly how. Um, I want to know all the details on what the computer is trying to do or what I, sh I guess I should say what the computer is doing when it's running this monitor. Because then hopefully, and not always, but I can get pretty close to doing the same thing. Again, it's going to depend on what we're talking about here. But in an ideal world, I'd like to be able to do exactly what the computer is doing as far as monitoring something. Um, and the only way to potentially do that is to, in the first place, understand what the computer is doing before I can 
try and replicate that, try to duplicate what the computer is doing. So that's going to involve a little bit of research. And it's something that I always do, again, when I'm presented with an unfamiliar diagnostic trouble code. Um, and well, here's the other thing too. Even if you are familiar with a code, you've seen this before, keep in mind a specific code. And a lot of the times we use the OBD2 format code, which is like a P0300 or a U0100 or a B0 something, something. You get the idea. That's the OBD2 code format. There are other formats for codes. You know, manufacturers may have their own alphanumeric setup. Um, heck, you go way, way back. You could get flash codes out of things. There's different ways codes can be presented, but a specific, even generic OBD2 code can be the same, you know, digits on one car and another, but it could actually have two different definitions. Even the code description could be the same if you just look up the code, but if you really go into the detail of the code, it's monitoring four different things or possibly just in a different way from vehicle to vehicle. Uh, one example of this that I like to use, uh, just a very a common example that you'll see across brands is a knock sensor code. Okay. So really common. You see knock sensor codes uh, for various reasons. A lot of times because the circuit has failed or the knock sensor has failed, but you can have a knock sensor code for one vehicle. And I think it's like a P0330 or 325. The, the code number doesn't matter so much right here. Um, on one vehicle, and this particular vehicle might be using a bias voltage on the circuit to monitor it for integrity. Okay. And that's just how the PCM is set up and that it's, that is its monitor. It's using that bias voltage to monitor the circuit. And then you could have another vehicle that could set the same code. Let's say it's a P0330 on both vehicles, and the code description says knock sensor circuit. But this vehicle does not use a bias voltage at all to monitor the circuit. Okay, This vehicle is actually going to watch for uh, voltage generation from this sensor at a specific RPM. And this isn't necessarily detonation, but you will see some activity from a knock sensor even under normal operation at a certain engine RPM. The engine vibrations will cause the sensor to put out a small amount of AC voltage. And so the computer is actually expecting that to happen. And if it doesn't see that, it sets the code. Where the other vehicle, maybe it's doing that same thing, but it's always, as soon as the key is on, watching that circuit for integrity. Is it accomplishing the same thing? Yes. But is it going about it two different ways? And that's just something that I want to understand. You know, in an example, it may not be the end of the world. You know, you're still going to the same spot. You're still monitoring the same component. But sometimes in our testing, knowing that information is actually pretty important. That example, maybe not so much, but it's just a simple example to show you the difference between manufacturers that we can have the same code, but monitor for it in different ways. And that's why, again, I'm going back to what I said, we really want to understand exactly not only what the code means, but how is the computer monitoring for it? What exactly is it looking for or not looking for during this monitor? Okay. And you're going to need service information for this. Uh, it's really the only way to go. And heck, sometimes service information comes up short here. It's not always perfect. Uh, depending on the manufacturer, it may give you very little information. Um, 
But if you have some service information, you can go into the diagnostic trouble codes and go into the description of the codes. And certain manufacturers, I think General Motors uh, is really good at this. They'll give you a really good explanation of not only the description of the code, sometimes the description of the system, but it's going to let you know exactly the conditions that need to be met for this code or this monitor to be run and the exact conditions that are going to cause the monitor to fail or the code to set. And I've always found General Motors <laughs> description of the codes to be very helpful. Now they do have a few codes where they leave you hanging a little bit. And we're going to talk a little bit about those today. But um, for the most part, they're really, really good. And it's kind of at least the standard that I go off of. I wish every other manufacturer was that good. Some manufacturers really do leave you hanging. They'll give you a description of a code. You know, they'll give you the code um, it's like one sentence, like knock sensor circuit or crankshaft sensor circuit A or something like that. And then not a whole lot of uh, information beyond that. Maybe they'll have a wiring diagram or talk about the components. Uh, one thing that I see uh, very commonly is there's no description of how the monitor is run, how the computer is monitoring something, what it's looking for. That stuff's not included. It's not written out for you, but what they do include is a flow chart. And so this is one thing that I would suggest if you're, you know, looking up a code and you're in service information and they're not really laying it out for you. Do take the time to read through the flow chart. I'm not a follow the flow chart kind of guy. Uh, that's not really not really my style uh, for for various reasons, but here's the thing. You can actually kind of read in between the lines. If you go through the flow chart, you can get an idea of what the computer is trying to do or is looking for based on the tests and the things that they're having you check for in the flow chart. Now, that's not always true. You know, sometimes you're going through and they're just having you ohm check circuits for something and it doesn't really give you any insight into what the computer is doing. But uh, sometimes it does. Sometimes it'll give you little key pieces of information uh, by what it's having you check and you can get a better idea about this code. So I've got a couple examples here of diagnostic trouble codes that I've dealt with that uh, kind of are maybe misleading. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today was, uh, you know, trouble codes that they you can pull the code, you can read the definition of the code, but unless you really do take a little bit more of a dive into what's happening with the computer and the monitor, uh, you could easily be misled on what you need to do. So the first one I wanted to talk about was a uh, 2001 Nissan Pathfinder that I actually looked at this uh, past week. Um, this is a little bit of an older vehicle, but the uh, reason I was called in to look at this is that the speedometer was not working on this vehicle. And of course, the first thing that I'm going to do I'll obviously talk to the customer, but first thing, once I'm to the vehicle, I'm going to do that all system DTC scan. And I noticed a few things here, but the code that stood out here that kind of correlated to what I had going on was a P0500. Okay, so this is a generic code again, and you see a P0500. This is not Nissan specific by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, P0500, the definition of the code is vehicle speed sensor circuit malfunction. 
All right. So um, if I'm just to take that at face value, I look at the code P0500. And again, this is in the engine computer. Um, P0500 vehicle speed sensor circuit failed or malfunction and the speedometer is not working. What's the first thing that I should be looking for? Okay, well, I should find the vehicle speed sensor and see is it outputting any sort of voltage. That's the first thing that I'm thinking based on what that code is saying to me. But had to do a little bit of research on this one because it wasn't quite so simple. Um, there actually, on this particular Pathfinder, there is no specific vehicle speed sensor that you'd normally find on the transmission or on the differential. So uh, that kind of leaves us in the dark a little bit. How is this setting a code for a vehicle speed sensor if it doesn't exist on the vehicle? This is where research is really going to help us out and really truly understanding what does this thing mean when it sets this P0500. Now, I did do just a basic check for the code in service information, and even this wasn't that great as far as pointing me in the right direction. It says engine running, vehicle speed driven under light engine load with the engine speed more than 1500 RPM, and the PCM did not detect a vehicle speed signal. Okay. So again, this isn't incredibly helpful, but if we keep reading, we keep digging uh, on this vehicle and the information is there. Uh, you just have to search for it. It's not in the basic code description. Um, you need to actually go into the system description and operation. And that's one area of service information where we can actually find some information that maybe they don't lay out for us uh, in the code description uh, when they're going through, okay, this is how this system works. We can find some information that's going to clue us into what's actually happening here. Again, what is the computer actually looking at? It seems simple enough, the vehicle speed signal, but there's no specific uh, vehicle speed sensor on this 01 Nissan Pathfinder. So again, after doing a little bit of research, Come to find out there is a VIN split uh, for this year Pathfinder. And so you look at some numbers on the VIN, I believe it's the last eight, and it's a, if it is above a certain number, they changed how the vehicle speed signal was gathered, was sent to the PCM. And in the earlier models, there actually was a vehicle speed sensor on top of the transmission measured the speed of the drive shaft that you know it's going back to the differential sent that up to the cluster and to the pcm so pcm knows vehicle speed and the you know the speedometer is actually going to work uh, but if you were over this number so this would be the later version in 2001 they got rid of that sensor and now in these models the vehicle speed signal is actually fed in from the abs control module and it's using the wheel speed sensors in order to send this signal to the pcm and also to the cluster so the speedometer works so you have to have your vehicle speed sensors working and the abs module actually has to be talking as well and when i did my all system DTC scan, I did notice that I had no communication with the ABS module. Now to 2001, okay, maybe there is no ABS module was my first thought. But once I saw this and once I read this in the service information, 
I got to thinking, okay, I need to confirm <laughs> whether or not there is an ABS module. And if there is, why can't I talk to it? Because that's going to be why I'm not seeing a vehicle speed signal, or I should say why the PCM's not seeing a vehicle speed signal. It's actually getting it over a data bus of some sort, um, a, a data network. It's transferring that information rather than a hardline signal from a sensor directly to the PCM. But it's still going to set that P0500, even though there's no official vehicle speed sensor. It's getting that vehicle speed signal from the ABS computer. So um, I'm going to go after the ABS control module because it was actually equipped on this vehicle. And again, can't talk to it with the scan tool. So uh, first things first, you got to check for powers and grounds. Luckily, this module is very easy to access under the hood. I pull the connector and there's four big wires on it. So two of them are power, two of them should be ground. And there was no ground on either of those two terminals. So I end up looking, okay, where is the actual ground location for this module? Well, it's attached to a stud on the passenger side strut mount. And this stud had actually broken off. And I don't know if this was during a service or if it was just, I mean, it's 2001, so it's kind of old and rusty if it just happened to snap off. But either way, I could see the eyelet that was connected to the ground wires for this module. And who knows, maybe some other stuff. I didn't really look into it. But um, as soon as I grounded out this eyelet and I was able to talk to the ABS control module, and then it was able to send the vehicle speed signal to the PCM and to the clusters that the speedometer worked. So that was the fix. But the point of this was not so much the fix, but just the fact that if we just look at the code definition, it could be misleading. You know, I could have crawled underneath this thing and I'm searching for a speed sensor that doesn't exist. So the definition of the code itself isn't always quite enough. We need to do a little bit more digging and understand, okay, here's what the PCM is actually looking for. It's actually looking for an input over a data network from another module. And I'll tell you what, we see this a lot in modern vehicles, okay? Um, modules are going to share information. They're going to share sensor data. It's one of the reasons they've gone to data networks in place of hardwiring every single sensor to every single module. They can have the sensor feed the closest module and that module put the data out onto the network to share it with every module and saves on wiring for vehicles by a pretty significant amount. But that means that we need to understand that when a module sets a code, you know, for a lack of a specific sensor or input or signal, it may not be directly fed to that module. It could be coming in from a network from another module. And another reason why doing an all system DTC scan as your first step can really help because obviously we'll get the codes from the modules. We'll see those DTCs, but we can also see what modules are on the network, who's talking and who's not. And in this case, I noticed right away that there was no ABS. And it again, we have to ask, ask ourselves, is it actually equipped on this vehicle? But, um, you know, it popped in my head right away. I got to at least, you know, put a flag there and come back to it because it could have something to do with what uh, we're dealing with. In this case, it did. 
Um, the other thing, we see some U codes, and so if it's an OBD2 format code and you have the U in the front of it, um, that you know stands out as there's a network communications error. And sometimes that is the case. Sometimes there's a module that's not talking. Sometimes the, you know, the data network can actually be down. There can be an actual physical circuit problem there. But do keep in mind that some of these U codes, what they are representing is that uh, the data that they got from a module, even though they're getting data from another module, isn't what that control module expected. All right. And I've been thrown by these codes before because, again, usually when you see a U code of some sort, um, of course, it can be from low battery voltage and stuff like that. But let's say it's a hard fault. Usually when we see a U code, we're thinking, OK, there's no communication between these two modules. They can't talk to each other. And it's not always true. If you read the definition of these codes, it's that there is still communication between two modules, but the data that it got wasn't what it expected or wasn't within a certain range or parameter. So once again, just another example of we've, we've got to really dive into what do these codes mean in order to correctly diagnose them and fix the vehicle. The uh, next one that I want to go over uh, kind of points out uh, one, how the description of a code can be misleading, just the actual definition that you see in the scan tool. But it also is a good example of how we need to do some research so that we really understand all of the systems or components or sensors that are involved in monitoring for a specific code. Uh, this was one that I actually dealt with a couple years back. Uh, it was a 2005 Toyota 4Runner. It uh, has the 4-liter V6. And this is a friend of mine. He did a head gasket job on this engine. They had some coolant consumption issues. So he pulled the heads off, pulled all the timing components apart, replaced the head gasket components, had the heads machined in a machine shop, replaced all the timing components. This has a timing chain on it. And uh, after he did the job, after he replaced all the components, got all back together, it uh, it ran very well, uh, seemed to drive up fine, but it continued to set a code um, periodically. Uh, it was consistent enough, not all the time, but it would continually set, and he uh, was really frustrated with this one. So it was a P0335, and this is a code that a lot of us have seen before. Uh, the definition of the code per Toyota and per, you know, the OBD2 format is crankshaft sensor circuit A. Okay. So that's what you get as the actual definition of the code is crankshaft sensor circuit A. Okay. So he obviously had the timing components apart, had the whole engine apart. So he went through this thing and he ended up rechecking the timing a couple times to make sure that he had everything timed correctly. He replaced both the crankshaft sensor, there's one crankshaft sensor, and the two camshaft sensors. So there's one camshaft sensor for each bank, um, even though it's a dual overhead cam, it's only monitoring the intake cams because they're uh, phased with variable valve timing on this one. He replaced both those sensors and the crankshaft sensor, double-checked all his timing, uh, overlaid all the wiring, checked the connectors, and 
He could not get this thing to stop setting this P0335 crankshaft sensor circuit A. And uh, again, he went through the ringer on this one and really tried everything he could. Um, he didn't have a scope. Uh, and that was the reason he had called me uh, to see, hey, can you come, you know, hook your scope up to this and see what's going on with these signals? What is the computer unhappy about on this crankshaft sensor circuit? Um, again, because it's the code, you know, based on what you know, we can see, right, just from reading the definition, it's not happy about something from the crankshaft sensor, particularly the circuit. So uh, the first thing I wanted to do on this vehicle was, you know, figure out a consistent way to duplicate the problem. And in this case, the problem is getting the code to set uh, because I want to be able to verify <laughs> that I repaired it after the fact. Uh, and if you, it's part of my diagnostic process, I always want to verify, I always want to verify the customer concern, uh, find a way to duplicate that. It's very important to do that. So what I ended up finding on this one, and he actually had to drop this off at my house because this wasn't a code that set every single time you started it. Um, the only time that this code would set was when the engine was cold. Uh, once the engine had warmed up, you know, give it 10 minutes. This was uh, during a cold time of the year. Um, but you give the engine 10 minutes to warm up and you could clear this code out of there and it would not set. You could drive this thing all day long and it would never set again until you let the engine cool down and on that first start, when you started up with a cold engine, it would set this P0335 crankshaft sensor circuit A. Okay, so at least now I know when that I, I need to check for it. There's not a whole lot of point in checking for it while it's hot. I need to hook my scope up to this thing first thing in the morning and see what I'm getting out of this crankshaft sensor circuit. So I do that, and this is an inductive crankshaft sensor. So it's two wires. It generates an AC voltage, uh, you know, based on the speed of the crank. It's going to change uh, the frequency and the amplitude of the waveform. Um, you can look, I'll put a um, waveform up of the crankshaft sensor, but a lot of us have seen this. And to me, this thing looked great. I did not see any dropouts, any glitches. And this was during the time that the code was set. Uh, everything looks good on this crankshaft sensor circuit. Okay, so where do we go from here? Well, this is where really reading into the code is going to help you. And this is where, again, the name of the code can be a little deceiving, but also, like I mentioned, the understanding of what is the computer using to monitor this. Um, that, that's where this really helped me go in the right direction and find out what the problem was. So, I mean, first things first, it says crankshaft sensor circuit A. Um, this particular application doesn't monitor the circuit for um, integrity. And what I mean by that, there's no bias voltage going out onto this circuit. Uh, so, you know, if I'm to just sit there, let's say I'm, um, I have the engine off, okay, key on engine off, and I unplug the crankshaft sensor, it's not going to set a circuit code for that. Now, there are some vehicles where that could happen if they're using some sort of bias voltage, but in this case, uh, it's not. So right there, the name of the code's a little misleading, but that's okay. I still at least have an idea, okay, with something to do with a crankshaft sensor and the, the signal that's coming out of it. So um, Toyota, I got to hand it to them here. They actually give you a very 
detailed description of what goes into setting this code. But, you know, on us as technicians, you've got to do the work to actually <laughs> research this and read it. Because uh, again, if you just read the definition of the code, you're going to be after that crankshaft sensor all day. And I guess, spoiler alert, it, it didn't end up being the crankshaft sensor that was the problem here. But uh, I'm going to go into this with you and what they show you right away under the monitor strategy. And they actually give this to you. They're telling you exactly what the computer is thinking, is looking at, is doing. And again, not all manufacturers do that. So big credit to Toyota here. Um, so for our P0335, and again, this is Toyota only, this may not apply to another vehicle that sets the same code. We got to keep that in mind too. But for this forerunner, what it's telling you is the required sensors or components, and it says main is the crankshaft position sensor. Okay. I guess I could have figured that out by the name of the code. But underneath that, and I'm in the service, I'm reading right from the service information here, the required sensors or components related, it says VVT sensor. Well, what's the VVT sensor? That's actually the camshaft sensor, okay? It's monitoring a tone wheel that is mounted on the front of the variable valve timing phaser on the intake camshaft. And there's two of them, there's one for each bank. But that's important to know that the camshaft sensor plays some role in this code. I don't know exactly what that is yet, but th that's really important to know because sometimes the component that the code is setting for is fine. It's working the way it's supposed to, but there's another component or sensor or something that is used in monitoring for proper operation and that can fail. Okay. Now we'd expect there to be a camshaft uh, sensor code in that case, if the camshaft sensor was at fault, but uh, that's just not the way reality works sometimes. So um, let's dig in a little bit more to this. If you go down below the monitor strategy, um, and there's a couple other things in there. It says conditions met for three times, uh, MIL operation is immediate, um, and there's a couple other lines. But if we go down below this, we can see the enabling conditions, okay? So um, it's telling you that there are no DTCs that could supersede this code. And that might be an important note to make that I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with, but that there are certain codes that will supersede others. Um, let me give you a, an example. Okay, let's say there is a crankshaft sensor circuit code for whatever vehicle. Odds are on most vehicles, if that code's in there, the PCM's not going to monitor for misfires and set misfire codes, because why would it if it's using the crankshaft sensor? And that's just a generic example, but I just wanted to bring that up, as there are codes that will supersede others, and we should be aware of that. But that doesn't play a role here, okay? Uh, it says there are no codes that supersede this one. Um, but for our enabling conditions, there are two cases. So the first enabling condition is when the engine is running at 600 RPM or more uh, with the starter off, it detects that there is no engine speed signal for three seconds or more. Now, how does it know that the engine's running at 600 RPM if there's no engine speed signal? Well, I'm guessing that it, uh, it was running. Uh, you know, it did see a signal and it saw it drop out, or it potentially is using the camshaft sensors to make this determination. It doesn't lay that out specifically, but that's our first case. So engine is running and then it sees it drop out for three seconds or more. Okay. That, that's one. But our second case is really where we want to pay attention, um, again, to understanding what the computer is looking at. So 
this is going to be a comparison between the camshaft and the crankshaft position signals and what it's going to be saying and this there's some numbers involved here a little bit of math um, but it's saying uh, the number of camshaft position sensor signal pulses and saying six okay so the the, the engine is running at this point um, and we see six camshaft posi position sensor pulses uh, and i should mention the camshaft position sensors are hall effect sensors they're digital so we have an inductive crank sensor and we have a digital hall effect style camshaft sensor on both banks and it's saying six pulses so a hall effect sensor is going to be basically a digital on off switch high to low in this case i believe it was a zero to four volt square wave and each time it's going to transition from zero to five four volts that counts as a pulse so six pulses six times with a camshaft it expects a certain amount of pulses they're a little different on an inductive sensor but a certain amount of pulses from the crankshaft in that given time okay so again six pulses Pulses from a camshaft sensor, it is looking for more than 132 or less than 174. Okay, so it's actually quite a big range here, but it's looking for a specific amount of crankshaft signal pulses within a time frame of six camshaft pulses. And it makes sense. The math, I think, they're giving some generosity there, <laughs> um, but it's just comparing the the actual teeth on the tone wheels it's saying if we rotate that camshaft and we see six pulses on it the crankshaft should have rotated this much and we should have seen this many pulses from the crankshaft and if this happens it's going to set a code saying that hey something's wrong with the crankshaft because we saw x amount of signals from the camshaft okay and we did not see the right amount of pulses from the crankshaft that's the computer logic that they decided to use at Toyota and what ends up setting this code, this P0335 crankshaft sensor circuit, um, because it has determined that, hey, there's not the right amount of pulses coming from this crankshaft. Okay, so uh, going back to what I see on the vehicle, the crankshaft sensor signal looks great. I don't see anything wrong with it. And I compared it to a known good, at least one that was pretty close, and I didn't see anything wrong with the crankshaft sensor signal. But if we are, you know, actually reading, we're actually understanding what's happening, it's comparing it to the camshaft sensor. So is there a possibility that the camshaft sensor or sensors could be malfunctioning in a way that it could set this code? I think it's definitely possible. And I guess a spoiler alert, that's where we're headed. So now I want to scope the camshaft sensor signals and see what's going on here. Again, I'd expect there to be a camshaft sensor code if this was the case, but uh, you know, again, things don't, <laughs> things don't always work out the way that we expect them to. So I scope uh, both of the camshaft sensor signals. And again, I have to do this while the engine's cold. So I started up and I found what I was looking for here. Uh, one of the camshaft signals had a very strange pattern on it compared to the other side when the engine was cold. And as soon as it warmed up, it went away. And anytime that this cam signal was putting, putting out this strange signal, and I'll put the waveform up in the Facebook group so you can see it. It's kind of hard to describe here. When it was putting out this, this strange signal that just didn't look right, 
that's when that code set. That's when it determined that the crankshaft sensor was at fault, but really it was because of the camshaft signal that the computer uses to monitor the crankshaft signal. Kind of confusing there. I know I'm back and forth, but that's what I ended up finding. So uh, what's the fix? He already replaced the camshaft sensors. He put in two Toyota factory uh, camshaft sensors into this. So I got to try to figure out what's going on here. So I look at the sensor. Well, maybe I got a bad sensor. So first thing I did, I just got another sensor. I just got to try. I got to pop one in there. So I put another sensor in there. And when I put another sensor in there, I got no signal from the camshaft sensor. And I'm thinking, well, maybe this is a wiring issue or something like that. And one thing you can do on a Hall Effect sensor is you can actually pull the Hall Effect sensor out of its bore, leave it plugged in, put the key on, you know, put your scope up to it, and you can actually put a piece of metal up to the front of the sensor. Take a wrench or a screwdriver and put that up to the sensing element on that Hall effect sensor and you will actually get it to change state. It'll go from zero to four, from four to zero, depending on the style of sensor. Um, And I did that with both sensors, actually. I, I had them plugged in and I'm making them work with a metal wrench with some sort of ferrous metal and I can see that the state's changing. But when I put this new sensor in its bore, I get no signal from it. Nothing's happening. Okay, what's the deal here? So I decided at this point I'm going to play a little uh, part swapping. So I swap the parts from one side to another. So I know that I have a good sensor on – I'm trying to remember which bank this was. It, it was the opposite bank. It was the driver's side. I remember that. So I take the sensor from the driver's side and I put it into the passenger side because the passenger side is where I was having these issues. I got a weird signal with the first sensor. I got no signal from the second sensor. And I actually did a get, I did get a camshaft sensor code when I put the new sensor in. But anyways, I swap these now. So I take my, my sensor. I know it's working because I saw it on the scope and I put this over on the other side. After I do that, my problem's completely gone. I have my, my signal is good. I let this thing sit overnight. It's pretty cold out. Uh, it was almost zero degrees and works great. No issues. I'm like, what the heck? So I take the original sensor that was in there, uh, that was in there when I got the vehicle. I throw that back in there. Uh, same situation. Engine's still cold. And immediately I got this weird pattern back. I'm like, what the heck's going on here? Um, some, something is something is very strange here. Uh, you know, I could have just left it with the sensors swapped and who knows, maybe, maybe it would have worked, maybe it wouldn't. Um, but what I ended up finding, and this is where a little bit of visual inspection is really important. The bore of the sensor, okay, it goes in on the top of the cylinder head and it protrudes inwards in front of the cam where the tone wheel is. The bore for the sensor actually had a little bit of damage to it, a little bit of physical damage where the sensor went in and it seated up against the cylinder head. And this was actually causing the sensor to, to sit out, not much, I mean a very, very small amount, but just enough where there was a sensor gap problem. Okay, so what I did was I cleaned this up with a file. Uh, it was like a little uh, bump in the metal almost from, from a damage. I don't know if it was from the sensor being pried out or what it was from, but I cleaned this up. I shaved it down a little bit, put my original sensor back in there. Works great. I leave it sit overnight again. Works great. Awesome. Everything's good. So it was actually the distance away from the tone wheel that made a difference here. And temperature played a role too. As soon as the engine warmed up, I imagine the metal expanded just a bit on that tone wheel, just enough. I and mean, we're talking about, you know, thousands of an inch here. Um, and 
then it would work fine once everything was a little bit more expanded, a little hotter. But when it was cold, it contracted down. It didn't read that tone wheel the way it was supposed to. And the three sensors all reacted differently to that little bit of air gap. And it's just something to remember about Hall effect sensors is that air gap is actually pretty important and it can cause some some issues if it's not spaced properly. Um, the original sensor gave off this weird pattern where it actually was, I think, was only picking up a small portion of each tooth on the tone wheel. My second sensor I put in there read nothing. Like it was just too far away to read any signal. And the uh, sensor that was on the uh, driver's side that I swapped over didn't get affected from the excessive gap. And I'm guessing it's just little tiny difference in, in the manufacturing process of these plastic sensors and where the sensing element is or where the magnet is within the sensor. And again, we're talking, it must be thousands of an inch here of difference, but it was enough to cause that problem. Uh, so I thought it was interesting how the three sensors reacted differently, but also that again, we have a camshaft sensor signal issue that ended up causing a crankshaft sensor code. But if we understand what the code is about and how the computer is monitoring it, what other components it's using to monitor something, uh, it can help us to, you know, really look at all the whole system, not just zeroed in on that crankshaft sensor to understand that there's more to it than that. There's, it's looking at more, but you'd never know that if you didn't go into the service information and really read this stuff. So hopefully you found that interesting. Uh, again, I will put up the, uh, some of the information on this case study on the Facebook group for the Toyota 4Runner because I actually have some some good pictures from that one, some waveforms, good and bad. Um, and you can check that out. Uh, if you like to join the Facebook group, just check out the show notes. There's a link to it and there's also a link to the website. Um, but other than that, uh, I think that's about it for today. Um, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. And uh, let's get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.